You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family compelled by God's love to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. Our big prayer is this, in Austin as it is in heaven. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake, and I'm just so glad to be here with you. Again, uh, college students, welcome. Uh, for those that are first time back since summer break, uh, we are so glad to see you again. We missed you. For those that are visiting for the first time, let me just say, uh, way to go. I said this last week, but that you would, uh, students especially, like come back, start classes, and then sh- you know show up at a church the Sunday after first week of classes. Like, wh- that is awesome. Like, uh, I really do think that that honors God, I think that that says something about your desire to follow Jesus, and and I just want you to know that's really encouragement, encouraging to us as a church family. And so, anyways, all that to say is that we are so glad that all of you are here today. And uh, let me also say that if you're visiting. This is a great Sunday to be here because, you know, you show up at a church, you're kind of new, and uh, one of the things that you're probably wondering is like, well, what's this, what's this church all about? Well, today we are continuing our vision series, a two-part series we did last week and then today, uh, in which we are talking about what we're all about. So uh, this should be fun and hopefully helpful for y'all and a refresher for the rest of us. And I just, you know, want to let you know that like my goal in today's message is to kind of get this in front of you and then to invite you all to lean in. And so, uh, and, and to actually engage in what we're all about with us. And so if you're like me, you're, you know, you before you decide you want to commit to something, you want to know a little bit more about it, right? Like, what am I going to get myself into? Well, let me tell you. So as a church family, I talked about this last Sunday, uh, but we have a really big dream, you could say, or really specifically a, a prayer. And that prayer is just a contextualized version of Jesus's prayer in Matthew 6, right? When he teaches us to pray, he says, you know, pray this way. Our Father... In heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, or as we say, in Austin, because that's where we are, as it is in heaven. So that, that's our big prayer as a church because, see, when God's will is done, it's like heaven breaks in. And, and, and here, what happens is that people, people feel the love and the joy and the peace that's found in God. And relationships begin to heal. And communities are unified. And the, the lonely are set into families. And the first are last, the, the last, first are last, and the last are made first. Like things get turned on its head, and like justice reigns. And like it's awesome. That's what we want for our city. We want Austin to become more and more like heaven. So that's what I talked about last week. And then I kind of ended with saying, okay, well, what's our role in that? 
If we want to see God's kingdom come more fully in Austin, what, how do we participate in that? And, and really, if you, if you really just boil it down to, I gave you three ways to participate last week, but today I'm just going to give you two. I'm going to boil it down even more. The way that we participate in helping partner with God to see Austin become more like heaven is, is this. We, we pray. We pray because only God can bring his kingdom in full. He, only God wakens people up to, to his love and what he's done for them in Christ. And only God changes people's hearts. We can't change people's heart. We can't talk anybody into the kingdom or anything like that. It's God who does this. And so we, we pray, God, may your kingdom come, your will be done. So we really want to encourage you to like lean into that with us, to to pray that with us, to pray that with us on a daily basis, personally, and even to join us in our corporate prayer times, the Sunday morning or the first Friday of every month. We, we get together, we pray about this. So that's one. Second thing that we do to partner with God, to see Austin become more like heaven, is that we aim to become more and more like Jesus. That we aim to become more and more like Jesus for Austin will become more like heaven as we become more like Jesus. Now, that should cause us to ask another question, which is, so how do you do that, right? How, how do you become like Jesus? I mean, how do you become a, a more loving person? How do you become a more, a more compassionate and caring and servant-hearted person that's just full of love and joy and peace and patience, like, you know, how, do, how does that happen? How do, you, how do you become more like Jesus? Well, we believe that the way you become more like Jesus is, is by practicing the way of Jesus together. By practicing the way of Jesus together. And this morning, that's what I want to kind of flesh out for us. Why is that our answer to the question, that's how you become more like Jesus? It's by pressing the way of Jesus together. Why is that our answer? What, what do we mean by that? And what would it look like for you, as I said earlier, to decide to join us in that, to jump into doing that so that Austin will become more like heaven? So that's, that's where we're going this morning. Are you good with that? Okay. Because you're stuck if you're not. You're just you're just here. So uh, let's unpack this phrase, practicing the way of Jesus together. And to unpack it, let's just begin with this kind of key phrase part of it, uh, the way of Jesus. I think that's a good place to start, the way of Jesus. And, and what I want to help you see is where we get this phrase from, because perhaps, I mean, especially if you've been around Midtown for a little while, you, you've heard this, we say it every week, uh, but you might have wondered, like, okay, why do we put it that way, the way of Jesus? Why isn't it, you know, plural? Why isn't it the, the ways of Jesus? We're practicing the ways of Jesus. That might make a little bit more sense, but the reason we say the way of Jesus is because we get this phrase from Jesus. Uh, for example, in Matthew chapter 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is speaking, and one of the famous things that he says, a little controversial, he says in verse 13, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many, and many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now, uh, in 
the Greek, the word that's translated here as road, a couple of different times, you see the word road show up. The word that's translated as road is the Greek word hodos. Hodos. Can y'all say that? Hodos. Yeah. There you go. Speaking Greek. Way to go. Um, and hodos, it literally means the way or a way or a journey. So we translate it road, but it's literally way. And so what you have in this passage is that Jesus is saying that there, there is, and when it comes to life, there is more than one way on offer. More than one way on offer. That there's a hodas, that there's a way that looks attractive and spacious, but leads to destruction. And then there's a way that looks narrow, difficult, but leads to life. Now, leave that there and and let me uh, move to another passage. Matthew chapter 22, verse 15, a little bit later in the book of Matthew. There we we read this interaction the Pharisees, some of the Pharisees have with uh, Jesus. It says, then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him, Jesus, in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way, the hodas, the way of God in accordance with the truth. And the story there goes on, but I just want to read these two verses for you just, just to point out two things. First, notice that uh, the, the Pharisees, their disciples, they looked at Jesus as a rabbi. They saw him as a teacher, you know, Hebrew word rabbi. That's how they viewed Jesus. And the second thing that I want you to notice is that what he taught, what did he teach? He taught the way, the hodas of God, the way of God. Okay, now here's why I kind of pointed that out. It's because this phrase, the way, it's used all the time in the New Testament. And it's not just Matthew that, that uses it. It's, it shows up in all four Gospels uh, repeatedly. Perhaps the most famously in John chapter 14, verse 6, right? When Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, right? And so uh, this, this phrase, it became or was so widely used that it actually became the moniker for the early church. Do you know that? Yeah, like if you read in the book of Acts, uh, you see that the church is called the way over and over again. Now, here's just a few examples, right? Uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest. He asked for the letters to the synagogue in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way. It's even capitalized in NIV, not that that actually is there in the Greek, but hey, look, and whether men or women, he might take them out to be prisoners in Jerusalem. Okay, that's the church, the, the way. Or here's another one. One of my favorites is found in, in it acts about what happened in the, in, in the city of Ephesus. And it just says, about that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. Just see, we were just troublemakers. We're still causing trouble all the way back then. But the way, that's the church. And then another one from Acts 24, 
This is what Paul testified in front of the governor, Felix. It's basically his testimony. He, he says, I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way. See, long before words like Christianity or the label Christian was used, Jesus' followers were known as the way or followers of the way. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? Of all the, all of the things that they could have latched onto and said, this is what we're going to be known by, why is it the way? Why is that what they were called? Well, friends, I think it's because early followers of Jesus got something that I think has largely been lost in the modern Western church. Namely, they got that the way of Jesus is just that. It's a, it's a way of living. It's a way of life. The following Jesus can't be reduced down to just agreeing with a set of beliefs or what we would call biblical theology. Now, hear me. It is that, certainly includes that. It just isn't only that. And following Jesus can't be reduced down to a list of just do's and don'ts that we are to obey, what we would call ethics. And again, yes, it does include that. It is that, but it's not reduced down to only that, that following Jesus is a lifestyle, that it is a way to live, a way that Jesus said leads to life. Which is why in Matthew 4, verse 18, and then Matthew 9, verse 9, among other places, Jesus invites People to follow him. He invites Peter and Andrew. He invites Matthew later to be his disciples. And what was his invitation? Come, follow me. And friends, that invitation was shorthand for come be with me and adopt my way of living. Take on my lifestyle. And see, the reason why we know that that, that invitation, come follow me, was shorthand for that, to come be with me and follow me, is because this idea of rabbis calling disciples to follow him was not new with Jesus. This was a well-known practice. In fact, from what we can tell, a teacher or a rabbi having disciples started in Greece with the philosophers several hundred years before Jesus called his first disciples. Plato, for example, was a disciple or an apprentice of Socrates. And so in Jesus's day, the uh, first, in that first century rabbinic world, a rabbi would, you know, as a general rule, invite a few apprentices to come and follow him. And that invitation, you know, was literal. It wasn't like, hey, follow me on Insta. It's like, okay, Jesus. No, no, it, it is a real invitation to, to basically be with him all the time, to, to travel from town to town, to sit under his teaching, and to adopt his way of living. See, an apprentice to a rabbi in the first century had three very specific goals. And those goals were to be with your rabbi, 
and to become like your rabbi and then to do what your rabbi did. To be with your rabbi, to become like your rabbi so that you can do what your rabbi did. And, and the thinking is that as you would spend time with your rabbi, going where he goes, learning from him, adopting his way of life, then over time you would become like him and you would be able to do what he did. Now, friends, if you apply that rubric to following Jesus, it becomes very clear what it means to be his disciple or his apprentice, doesn't it? It means that you're going to organize your life around those same three goals. Let me say a little short word on each. The first goal is to be with Jesus. To be with Jesus or what Jesus called in John chapter 15, abiding in him or remaining in him. Now, the question is, okay, well, how do you do that? Like Jesus isn't here in the flesh. How, are we, can, how can we be with Jesus now? Well, the, the, the answer is that that's, it's possible through the gift of the Holy Spirit, which God freely gives to us when we place our trust in Christ alone for, the, for our yeah, to reconcile us to God, that we're given the Holy Spirit. He comes to live within us. The Spirit of God is with us at all times, making it possible for us to be with Jesus at all times. See, when it comes to being with Jesus, the issue is not that we don't have the ability or that we don't have access to him. We do through the Spirit. The, the, the issue is that we often fail to acknowledge that Jesus is with us. You know, if you're like me, like, your mind is all over the place, right? You wake up in the morning, you're thinking about what you got to get done. If you have kids, you're trying to get your kids out of the house, off to school. And then you sit down in front of your computer, you open that thing up, and you're checking your inbox. You're just trying to plow through that, and now you're on to your task of the day. And if, if, you don't, if, if you don't slow down, if you don't pause, then just hours and hours can go by without you even acknowledging, without you even recognizing that Jesus has been with you the whole time. Like he's been here, but you haven't been there. He's been with you, but you haven't been with him. See, that's pretty common, but that's not how an apprentice of Jesus is to live. See, the first and primary goal of an apprentice of Jesus is to learn how to live in constant state of awareness and connection to Jesus through the Spirit of God. How to live in a constant state of awareness and connection to Jesus through the Spirit of God. And this is what Paul would call uh, praying without ceasing. It's what Jesus calls abiding in the vine. It's what Paul also refers to as staying in step with the Spirit. It's what Brother Lawrence, if you're familiar with that Parisian monk, uh, what it means to practice the way of Jesus, okay? Now, listen, you, you think perhaps you're thinking, okay, that, that sounds great. Being with Jesus, buying with him, uh, sounds like a good thing to do. Staying in constant connection, awareness to him sounds, sounds interesting, I'm, I, but like, what does that look like? I mean, how, do, how do you do that and still go about your regular day, you know? Well, if you're asking that, that's a great question. Let me answer that, or try to, at least right now. See, the way that we know how to do this is because uh, Jesus showed us how. 
by his way of life, by his lifestyle. See, uh, Jesus lived in constant state of awareness and connection to the Father through the Spirit during his life here. To the point that he could say things like this, like, whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. That's a wild statement. He says that in John chapter 12, verse 50. Or he says, uh, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. That's John chapter 12. Five, like just this, get this picture, this constant state of awareness, connection to the Father through the Spirit. That's how Jesus lived, and he shows us how to do that by his life. And so when we read the biographies of Jesus, which are the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we're given an insight into the way that Jesus did this. And we learn from his way of life that he was regularly in prayer, that he fasted, that he was in a synagogue each Sunday or Saturday for him. And he would often get away from the crowds to spend time alone with the Father and on and on. These details of the way that Jesus lived are captured for us in the Gospels. And what we can learn through them is that through Jesus' lifestyle, he teaches us how to remain in constant communion with him through the Spirit. He modeled it for us. And friends, as you learn from his way of living and you slow down, because you'll see that adopting his practices is going to require us to slow down. And as you slow down and you adopt his practices, the more you will become mindful of his presence with you. And the more... You will be with him or abide in him. And the result of that will be that you will become, start to become more and more like him, which is the second goal of apprentice of Jesus, to become like Jesus. See, in John 15, where he talks about abiding, this is what he says, verse five. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And then, You're wondering, okay, well, Jesus, what is that fruit? Well, Paul picks up on Jesus' teaching in John 15 in Galatians chapter 5. He explains it. He expounds on it. He says this. He calls it the the fruit or the fruit of the Spirit. He says the fruit of the Spirit is this. It's, It's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self control. Put it another way the fruit of the Spirit or the fruit that Jesus produces in our life as we abide in Him, as we're with Him. It's the fruit of his very character. It's his life being produced in us, where we're literally becoming more and more like Jesus, more loving and compassionate and careful. All of this stuff, this is what happens as we abide in Christ. We become more and more like him. And he produces his life in us over time. And it, it does. It, it takes time, okay? It's a, pro, it's a process, but 
over time, he begins to shape us to the point that we become like him and we are enabled to do what he did, which is the third goal of a apprentice or disciple of Jesus, to be able to do what he did. And that's the goal of any apprentice, right? I mean, if you were an apprentice to an electrician, then, then your goal would be able to ultimately wire a house like an electrician as a result of apprenticing under an election or an electrician. Or if you were you know, an apprentice of a plumber, then the goal would be that you'd eventually be able to plumb a house, you know, which actually is a verb. I looked it up. And so um, if you're an apprentice to Jesus, then yeah, your goal is to get to a point Again, over time, it takes time, but to get to a point where you are able to do the kind of things that Jesus did, you know, like loving an enemy, like uh, caring for the poor, like feeding the hungry, like seeking and saving the lost, like eating with those far from God, like healing the sick. These kind of things that Jesus did, you will get to the point where you're able to join Jesus in what he is doing. He's now doing it through you. And here's what happens, friends. It's just as you follow Jesus, this narrow way that's hard. It's hard. I'll talk about that more in a second. But as you do that, it leads to life. His life being produced in you, you becoming like him, and his life being produced through you for the sake of others so that others can also know his love and be invited into relation with him and into his kingdom. So guys, this is what it means to apprentice under Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus. It's to be with Jesus. Make that your goal, to be with Jesus, to abide in him, and then to become like him and to do what he did. Those are the three categories. They're essentially what it means to either follow Jesus or follow the way of Jesus. And when you organize your entire life around those three goals, and you think of following Jesus, not as a hobby, you know, not as an add-on to the rest of your life or your schedule, not just something that you do on the weekend or on Sunday morning occasionally, but when you think about organizing your life around that, this becoming the driving engine of your life, then the end result is that you, as I said, experience his life and others experience it through you. But friends, in order for that to happen, you really have to put his way of living into practice, into practice, which is why, to go back to our statement, we talk about practicing the way of Jesus, practicing. And again, the reason why we emphasize this word practice or this idea of practicing is because it's because Jesus emphasized it. If you go back to the Sermon on the Mount, you, you may remember this. That he begins, near the beginning, I should say, of the Sermon on the Mount, he, he begins with this idea of practice. Like in chapter 5, verse 19, here's what he says. He says, Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands, these commands that he's about to teach in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, anyone who sets aside or teaches others according will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever, here it is, practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. 
And then at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, right, the bookends of this sermon, which basically Jesus' manifesto on how to live the way of Jesus, right? He is, is all captured in there. You should read it. It's really awesome. But he, he, he says, okay, here's the way to live, how, how to live the way that I live, my lifestyle, what kind of person you're going to become as you do that. And then he bookends it with this. Chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. There we go. It's like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain came down and the streams rose and the wind blew and beat against the house. And yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, it's like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. And then Jesus exited stage left. Like he just walked away. That, that's the last line in the Sermon on the Mount. Is that, is that a haunting way to end a sermon? Can you imagine? Just, you know, put what I just said into practice or else destruction. I think you can say that Jesus was really trying to emphasize the point of practice, right? I think for those basketball guys in here, you know that he and Alan Iverson have a very different view of the importance of practice, right? It's a big deal to Jesus. One of these days, I'm going to use that joke too often, but still good. I love love that. Seriously, though, okay? Jesus makes it clear that his way of life is going to take practice. There's a saying in spiritual formation literature that I love. I think it originated with Dallas Willard. It's kind of been tweaked some or whatever, but it goes like this. It's not about trying hard, but it's about training hard. It's not about trying really hard, but training really hard. And I know at first that might sound just like semantics, right? And what's, what's the difference? But I, I think there actually is a really big and helpful difference between trying really hard and training really hard. Uh, let, let me try to flesh it out for you. Let's say, hypothetical scenario, you're out of shape and you decide that you want to set a goal to be able to bench press your own weight, Okay. Well, how would you go about that? Would it be trying really hard or training really hard? If you think it's trying really hard, then what would you do? You, you would just sign up at the gym. You go to a gym, you sign up, get a membership. You walk over to the bench press and you would put, stack those weights on that bar and you would go for it. And I know that if I were to try to do that, I can just tell you, I would die immediately. I mean, it would be dying. If I got it off the rack, it would just come crashing down on my chest and lights out for me. That would be what happens when I try really hard. But what if you wanted to bench press your own weight? And so you decide you're going to train really hard to be able to do that. Well, what would that look like? Well, you go to the gym, you know, a few times every week. You start off with the bar. I know the bar is 45 pounds. It's quite heavy. But, uh, you know, you, you, you do that until you know, get to where you can do that. And then, and then once you can do that, then, then you add 
a little bit more weight. I, I know that there's a two and a half pound weights that I think are for like the yoga class, but I, I find them quite helpful. And so you just put those on there and you just do that. And then when you're able to do that, then you can add five more pounds on there or whatever. And you just over time, by training really hard, you get to the point that you're capable to bench press your own weight. So that's, that's the difference between trying really hard and training really hard. But here's the problem. When it comes to adopting the lifestyle of Jesus, practicing the way of Jesus, or becoming like Jesus, we usually don't think about it like that. That our go-to mentality is that we just try really hard. And so like, let's say, for example, you decide... Uh, that, the, you know, you want to address a, a weakness in your life or sin area in your life. Perhaps it's lust or anxiety or impatience or greed. You, you know, you fill in the blank. And you want to, you say, you want to overcome it, but you want to change. But how are you going to do that? Well, many of us, we, we just like, you hear a message podcasts, worship service, somebody like have great time in the word. And you're just like, man, I'm convicted. And now I'm going to choose not to do that anymore. And I, so this week, no more lust, right? And you're just like, no more lust. And then it's like, how does that work out for us? Not very good. I mean, that's like going to the gym and trying to bench press your weight on the very first try. It just doesn't work. It comes down with a crash. But what if you were to approach that by training really hard by practicing. You're like, well, what does that look like? Well, it's not one-on-one with the building muscle. It's a little bit different. It feels a little bit indirect, but it's not because Jesus said, no, that it's completely related. The way that we get to where we can overcome sin in our life, you know, grow in areas of not being lustful, greedy, or whatever it might be, to become more patient and more loving, more self-controlled, is this. We, we practice the ways of Jesus. That we look at Jesus' lifestyle and we say, okay, I'm going to start doing that. Like Jesus, he, 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 he regularly was in the Word, in Scripture. He knew it by heart. So he said, okay, I'm going to start doing that. And he, he was in prayer this constant state of awareness of God. Okay, I'm going to start setting my mind on God. And so you start do, mirroring your life after Jesus. And that's through these practices, through you deciding tomorrow morning, okay, when I wake up, before I check my phone, I'm going to open up God's word. I'm going to spend some time with him. And I'm going to spend some time in prayer. And then as I go about my day, I'm going to try to keep reminding myself that Jesus is with me. I'm just aware of his presence with me. And then at lunch, I'm going to set an alarm, maybe after my lunch or right before, and I'm just going to like sneak away and, and read a psalm and pray. And then at one time this week, I'm, I'm going to uh, gather together with my church friends and my Midtown community, and we're going to encourage one another. We're going to share life together. We're going to talk about practicing the way of Jesus together. And then, and then on the weekend, this weekend, I'm going to set aside a whole day, the whole day just to, to Sabbath and to rest and delight in God. And then I'm going to gather with my church family on Sunday, and we're going to worship God. And that you just practice the way of Jesus. Well, 
what you'll do is you'll be abiding in Christ. These practices help you abide. And what happens when we abide? Jesus promises, it's a guarantee, he promises that as we abide, as we remain in him, he will produce his fruit, the fruit of his life in us, making us more and more like him. That's how we change. That's how we grow to become like Christ. Not trying really hard, training really hard, but taking up what has often been called the spiritual disciplines or these practices from the life of Jesus that help us abide. But friends, that's hard. It's hard. I'm not gonna lie to you. I mean, we're talking about adopting a whole other way of living, a new lifestyle, a new pace. I mean, this is not the normal American pace. This is not what your life or my life normally looks like in our current, current cultural climate. And so this is, this is hard. It's hard to practice the way of Jesus. But friends, this is how we change to become people of love like Jesus. And I'll tell you, I'll take hard but possible over hard, trying really hard, and impossible <laughs> seven days a week. And so let's do this. Let's train really hard by practicing the way of Jesus. But if you're going to do that, you're going to need help. Help from God, absolutely. But we need each other. And so what do we say? Well, we want to practice the way of Jesus together together. See, because it, it, when we are in community, when we have other people running with us, headed the same direction, then we, we are so much more likely to keep persevering. When you have people encouraging you, spurring you on, that is so helpful. And one other reason why community is such a big deal it's because community is one of the primary means by which God works to make us into people of love. So community helps us practice the way of Jesus so that we become like Jesus. Community also is one of the ways that he works to make us like Jesus because community is a practice of Jesus. You know that? Like Jesus, you read his mystery. He was not this lone ranger. He, he calls an apprentice right away. He doesn't call even just one apprentice. The very first time he calls an apprentice, he calls two apprentices, two brothers. He says, from the very start, it's all about community. It's not, you don't follow me alone. You follow me together. Following Jesus alone was not even on the table for Jesus because it's one of the primary ways that he works to make us into people of love. You can't become a more loving person in a silo. You have to be around people. So we try to practice the way of Jesus together. Of course, as a church, the primary way that we do this, and you already heard Joseph talk about this, but is in a midtown community. Or if you're in college, it's in midweek, which is our Wednesday night college group. And so either one of those places, midweek or, mid or a midtown community, that's what we really want to invite all of you to lean into. Now, most of y'all are in a midtown community, but not all of you. And I know that some of you that are in one are kind of only kind of in one. 
Like, you know, like, I'm in that one, and I go about once a month. And what I would want to really encourage you to do, all of you, is to really lean in fully. Because we need each other. And because through each other, through the relationships, and even the ups and the downs, even the relational tensions, God is at work doing his thing, producing his fruit in us to make us people of love. We need each other for that. So I really do want to invite you to join a Midtown community. This is the best time of the year to do it, okay? Because we need to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. For as we do that in Austin, what happens? Well, as we become more and more like Jesus, Austin will become more and more like heaven. Okay, your kingdom come. Your will be done in Austin as it is in heaven. It starts here. And then it impacts my family and my neighbors, my coworkers, and the people that I encounter heaven begins to break in. That's what we're about, friends. That's what we want to see happen. And I just want to invite you, as I said, to lean into this with us, to decide, to practice the way of Jesus together with us. But let me just be clear. This is an invitation. I'm not trying to coerce you or manipulate you to say yes. I think that one of the many <laughs> amazing things about Jesus is that you know, one of them is, is that though he is God, he's all-powerful, you never see him using his force to make people do what he wants them to do. He doesn't coerce them. He doesn't force them. He doesn't manipulate them. He doesn't guilt trip them or shame them. He just invites them. Come, follow me. I have life on offer. My life produced in you. I want you to know that my invitation is come, follow me. And then he lets the person decide. Friends, it's your decision. But remember, he has life on offer. Yeah, this way is narrow, it's a new lifestyle, it's different. but it leads to life. So will you practice the way of Jesus together with us? Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We invite you to practice the way of Jesus in Austin with us because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven.